Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, podcast listener. I'm Alan Seals, and you're listening to The Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. And this episode is no exception to that. AJ Shively, our guest today, is now in Paradise Square, which just opened on Broadway. It shines a light on uh, on some history of New York City and and some things that I didn't know about, and they're right in my backyard. I absolutely love this and love the subject matter. And then AJ himself is actually such a history nerd. I love it. We dive deep into that. He actually learned to do Irish step dance for this show. I don't know if any of you listening have ever actually seen like Irish step dance. I'm talking like river dance style stuff. Michael Flatley, river dance. That is some hard stuff to learn. He had to learn it for the show. And just a fun conversation. So find me online on Instagram and Twitter, theater underscore podcast. Now on TikTok. What am I doing on TikTok? I'm on TikTok at the theater podcast. Leave a rating and a review if you can, wherever you are listening. Turn to that person next to you and say, hey, I'm listening to a podcast. You should listen too. Spread the love. And now after this quick break, enjoy this episode with AJ Shively. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Here you go. One, two, three. Mm-hmm. Today's guest is an Ohio native who picked up and moved with his family to New York City, got an agent, and began his acting career all at the age of 12. His first professional job was the national tour of The Sound of Music, and Broadway credits include Lacage alongside Kelsey Grammer, Bright Star with Steve Martin, and then, and then, and then, and then, then. I'm doing great. And can (laughs) now be seen starring in Paradise Square with Joaquina Calacango and Chalina Kennedy. TV credits include Homeland, Madam Madam Security, Jesus, I need more (laughs) coffee, Madam Secretary, The Blacklist, and most recently, Bull, Madam Security. I'm still thinking about that. Hey, that's pretty good. That's <laughs> AJ Shively, welcome to the theater podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Madam Security. That's, Madam Security. That, that could be like uh, the alternative to uh, McAfee antivirus. Yeah, like, it's kind um, of more like like a it's like a tough guy at a brothel or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you don't want to deal with uh, those two guys, Tiny yeah. and Madam Security. Those are two guys you do not mess with. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about actually moving from, or I guess oh, it's Ohio, right? You started yeah, in Ohio, Central Ohio, but obviously there's something that should have happened or must have happened before you were 12 that made you decide to move to New York. So how did you get into all that in the first place? Well, I was, you know, my my family, no one else is in in the arts in my family, um, but always were patrons of the arts. So I, I grew up seeing a lot of theater, all the national tours and everything. But when I was 10, there was a national tour that came through that had a bunch of like 10 year olds in it. And, uh, it had never occurred to me that I, as a child could do that. Um, and so right after that, I, I, you know, expressed interest. My mom signed me up for the Columbus children's theater. I auditioned and, you know, got into the show and kind of never stopped doing plays ever since then for the rest of my life. So that connection through the Columbus Children's Theater, um, uh, they had a relationship with Nancy Carson, who was kind of the, the preeminent child agent in New York at the time. Um, my aunt and uncle live in New York, so we were coming to visit on spring break anyway when I was 12. Um, I met with Nancy, and the meeting went well, and she sent me on an audition just to see how I you know, carried myself alone. And I ended up, it was for the National Tour of the Sound of Music, and I ended up getting cast. So my parents had, it was kind of straight into the deep end. My parents had no idea <laughs> that was wow. going to happen. Um, yeah. Um, and it was great. Um, I have a younger brother and sister. So uh, when I was on the road, it was kind of all hands on deck. My mom would come for a week and, you know, take me to the airport in Philadelphia. And we would fly to Denver and my aunt would meet us in Denver and she'd be my guardian for the week. And, you know, so I, my, my entire family kind of had a hand in, uh, in helping me out for that tour. Yeah. So then, okay, so you were 12, you came out, you came out to New York. Okay, hold on. So that, so did you get Sound of Music and go on tour after you moved to New York or would you get the tour and then you were like, okay, now yeah. it's time to move to New York? Yeah, I got the tour and then um, I was in final callbacks for a couple of other shows and, uh, you know, we made the decision to, to, to try it out for real. Um, and it was great. I, I was in New York for, uh, until 2002, I moved back home after the 2001, 2002 school year. So I finished out high school in Ohio. Um, and I went to college in the Midwest and then I came back to New York right after college. Well, you went to college to be an architect, which we will get to. Well, no, no, it wasn't. I, I thought about studying architecture, but when oh, really? I, I, I went to school, I went to school, I went to Michigan's musical theater program, but when oh. I went back to high school, I was done with acting. I was like, okay, I did it. You know, that's pretty cool. Um, and I was really into architecture. Um, but when it came time to apply to schools, I applied to kind of an even number of programs. Um, and I just loved the Michigan program so much and kind of the acting bug had it still bit. It had still bitten. So I went for it. <laughs> I still haven't so looked it, back. <laughs> in, in the information I was reading about your prep for this, it, I, did 9-11 have something to do with moving back to Ohio? Because it, yeah, so it was that time frame. It was that time frame, yeah. So 9-11 happened while um, the, way, the way guardianship worked for me is because my family stayed in Ohio. Um, we would share a lease on an apartment with other families who were from out of New York. 
um, and kind of switch every two weeks guardianship. So my mom would come for two weeks and then my roommate's dad would come for two weeks and then my dad would come for two weeks and my roommate's grandma would come for two weeks kind of thing. Um, and when nine 11 happened, um, it was my roommates, uh, parents were guardians for that week. Um, and that was pretty, it was pretty hard on my, on my family being in Ohio and all the cell towers came down. So we couldn't get in touch with each other for a few days. And, you know, everybody was fine, thankfully. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that was, that was definitely an inciting incident in, let's, to, to, to reconstruct the family unit back home in Ohio. Wow. Well, so I, I, I guess at that young of an age though, so you're out here, you're by yourself as a teenager, right? Like yeah. these are some of your most, in general, hardest impressionable years. Yeah. If you were just not moving around and, you know, had your standard childhood in Ohio. So now that you're in New York and 9-11 happens and auditioning, auditioning, final callbacks, you're getting so close again. So I think, did you sort of have, did you struggle with uh, with all of this during that time? I guess, especially being that age too, but so you moved to New York because you found immediate success, right? You got cast in the national tour and you're like, oh, okay, cool. I don't have anything to compare it to. I'm going to be this overnight star. <laughs> and then you get to New York and New York rears its ugly head. Yeah. Well, and you know, I was lucky because I kept, I kept working. I didn't do any big major Broadway stuff, but I did a lot of um, off-Broadway stuff. I did plays with Ensemble Studio Theater, Manhattan Theater Club, and um, and I was I, I went to the professional children's school for those years. So I was surrounded by some of the most talented, smartest, like just coolest kids in in the world. Really, um, it was it, it was a great time. Um, and uh, you know, I always tell the story that the uh, so the way the math education worked from Ohio to New York was I ended up being like ahead of grade. Um, just because of when they taught algebra versus geometry and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and there was, uh, an upperclassman girl in my math class who I just crushed on so hard. And there was one day we were in the commons and she called me over. She said, Hey, AJ, to go over some of the homework. And I was just like, she knows my name. She knows my name <laughs> as I was walking over there. And that girl was and grew up to be Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yeah yeah professional children's school was a crazy place it was just you know it was an incredible incredible group of people to grow up with and um yeah and and uh it was it was hard to move back to ohio it's kind of why i i was kind of wanted to make the switch away from the arts because i felt like i had experienced that and um you know i wanted to <laughs> be normal in ohio for a minute <laughs> I keep going back that you just said she grew up to be Scarlett Johansson. Like yeah. originally, when you met her, she was Gertrude Pewterschmidt. No, she was still that, Scarlett Johansson back she then. Was, <laughs> she wasn't a movie star yet, though. Well, right, kind right. of. <laughs> she did Ghost World like right after she graduated. So, <laughs> yeah. well, okay. So, so then uh, you've 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 got uh, a history, I guess, of of kind of you know going back and forth between Ohio and New York, and then you're back to Ohio, and then. Uh, I guess so. Then, where did the opportunity come back? You said the acting bug was done. You were you were ready to like you're thinking you were going to do architecture. So then, like Broadway debut did 
all of yeah. a sudden his Broadway debut falls in your lap again or did, did you pursue well, it again? <laughs> so I pursued it again. So luckily, you know, I was visiting New York because my aunt and uncle live here um, when I was a senior in high school, uh, you know, applying to colleges. And I went in to visit Nancy Carson to say hello. Um, and um, one of Nancy's clients was, uh, her, one of her clients at the time was in the office and we were talking about applying to colleges. And uh, she said, you know, you should really give University of Michigan a look. It's where I went to school and I loved it there. And that person uh, grew up to be and was at the time Celia Keenan-Bolger. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And I looked into the program. The school was had the you know academics that I was interested in. It was it's a big big university and and I've always been uh, a super nerd and just wanted to learn you know kind of a jack of all trades. Right, I wanted to take as many different kind of classes as I could and still have that conservatory style training. So I applied. I got into the school. I auditioned and got into the program. And um, you know it the training was great. Um, we showcased in New York after. Uh, graduation and I was lucky enough to get um, representation and a little job out of the showcase which was great so I kind of hit the ground running out of school and I was in Lacage I was casting Lacage about a year later so my intention had always been to go to grad school to go to like you know in my mind because I went to musical theater undergrad undergrad to uh, go to like real acting school for grad school but um, I did I did Broadway instead <laughs> Watching, watching Douglas Hodge in his Tony-winning performance every night for, for a year was my grad school equivalent, I guess. Oh, that's, that's so cool. So then yeah. uh, you, go to, you go to UM, and there's so many people that go to UM, too. And I'm sure you, you've got plenty of other stories of like, oh, oh sitting yeah. next to me was uh, Matthew McConaughey, who grew yeah, up right? to be <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, who was yeah. related to, uh, you know, Chris Pine. Um, yeah. But I, I think... Coming out of UM, going into Lacage with Kelsey Grammer, and and I guess when when you get thrown into this stuff, I mean, e- even going back again as a teenager, yeah. twelve years old, uh, twelve years old, and then going to teenager, New York, et cetera, et cetera. Are 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 you, have you been able to adjust your your expectations of how easy or hard the business is by this point? Because oh, you yeah. have UM, hard to get in UM, and then you get a show a year. You know, you said a year out of yeah. college, oh, and yeah. you're doing this yeah. stuff. So, like, are you again sort of in this place where you're like, I got this, or are you like, what? <laughs> never, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> never, never, never. Well, as a child actor, you know, like I, I when I I left the Sound of Music tour at I think I had turned thirteen by then. Um, I was in final callbacks for a couple of Broadway shows. I didn't get any of them, you know. Um, so I learned at a young age. I, I think the adage is if, you, if you're cast one out of every 100 auditions, you're doing really well. Um, so, you know, you kind of just got to let it roll off your back. Um, and I was so lucky. That when, when I got the offer for Lacage, I thought I, I took me, I couldn't understand that it wasn't for the understudy for Jean-Michel, that it was for the role Jean-Michel. Um, because I had just graduated. I, it was hard for me to wrap my mind around it. And then for your first show to be, you know, we won the Tony for Best Revival. We were like the hit of our season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the vets in the cast were like, it's not like this. Don't get you. <laughs> this is like the best case scenario. <laughs> um, and, it, but it, you know, it's it, everything's an incredible learning experience, I think. Um, and I'm very grateful for having that experience early on just because it makes... 
the transition into the Broadway community that much easier when you don't have to worry about um, really anything when you're like just, you know, the hit. It's really fun. It's a really, really fun experience. And I'm glad I had that when I was younger. Um, uh, but yes, never any expectations ever. I, 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 the, my biggest takeaway from that was after the first week of rehearsal, I, I remember thinking, oh, it's just, we're just doing a play. It's just like every other play. We're just doing a play. Um, you know, I was like, oh, it's Broadway. It's going to be different. And it's not. You just, you show up, you rehearse, you find the moments, you get notes, and then you do it in front of people. <laughs> just a, lot, a lot of people who pay <laughs> a lot more prices. people yeah yeah <laughs> but even like some of these touring houses are like thousands and thousands of seats so like the broadway yeah. theaters feel so much more intimate and like that's one of the best parts about doing a broadway show is that the the audience is is, is like more available you can feel their energy in a different way that's a really good way of looking at it and i never i never thought about it and i've done i've done regional theater back in the day Very and <laughs> and you're right it's these houses can be you know several thousand seats yeah and yeah. and there's just not the real estate in New York to have that so i I don't know what the biggest Broadway house is but um I don't either. It's, it's probably the marquee right uh is it marquee something like that marquee new, Amster- new Amsterdam oh maybe New Amsterdam yeah I don't know maybe the lyric one of those, one of those new ones, newer ones. But, but regardless, you, you know, you still have like it's hard to sell out one of those theaters, right? yeah, yeah. And because there's so much around here, but I guess my point being is that it's it's interesting to me that you said that Broadway to you feels intimate because it can, it can, yeah, yeah. yeah because you still have you know, Broadway to be called a Broadway house. You just need was it five hundred or five hundred one? It's, it's so, five hundred. I 500, think yeah. four ninety nine is off Broadway and five hundred is Broadway. Right. So you have five hundred yeah. seats and. I guess yeah. When you're, if yeah, you're regionally playing, yeah, yeah, if you're playing to two thousand people regionally, and then you come to a five hundred seat house, you're like, oh yeah, I can, I can smell them all now. Right, right, <laughs> all, exactly. Yeah. Right like oh, I'm accidentally spitting on them with my enunciation. Um, <laughs> right. But even with with Paradise Square, for example, we were at the Nederlander Theater in Chicago, and I, and we're at the Barrymore Theater now, and I think the the front row of the Nederlander Theater is like our fifth or sixth row here. It's just so much more intimate. The back yeah. wall of the Nieder, of of the of the Barrymore, the back wall of the Barrymore Theater. So, like the last row of seats is probably just like the tenth or eleventh row at the Nederlander. It's a completely <laughs> different experience being able to hear the the people lean forward. Even you can like hear it's just the, all the laugh. We couldn't hear laughs in the Nederlander. We had to kind of just trust that <laughs> <laughs> things were landing. Um, it was. It's. It's such an incredible experience and just that community, that feeling of, of togetherness. So then, okay. Uh, COVID with COVID come, we're all coming out of COVID in an, yes. in an industrial, I'm saying from a business perspective, I guess in Broadway, like there's, I forget the 16 openings, I think in April here. Yeah. Isn't that wild? I think it's the most, most ever in a single month. Right, it's openings kinda, and reopenings. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. So, was Paradise? I don't know the I don't know the details on this. Was Paradise Square supposed to come to Broadway before the pandemic, or how did how was the timing behind all that? So, we had tried out in Berkeley at Berkeley Rep in 2019, and I don't think there was a theater lined up. But the plan was to come in late 2020, like fall of 2020. Yes. Um. So obviously that didn't happen. Um. And uh. We were all very surprised and, and grateful in um, 2021 
to, to hear that we were going to be going to Chicago and in, in late 2021, um, with the hope that a theater would open up and be available. I think, you know, the waiting list for Broadway theaters is always long, but this season it's, it's even crazier than usual. Um, so many, so many shows, you know, two years worth of shows wanted to come in. Um, and it's, it's still hard for me to wrap my brain around the fact that we got a theater that we're here that, you know, the year and a half off in between where I had just let it go. I was like, okay, well that one won't happen. Hopefully something mm-hmm. else will happen. Um, which is hard because I've been working on the show since 2018. I did a workshop in 2018. It's been a, um, a lot of time and, and uh, sweat equity put into this one. You know, I learned how to Irish step dance. <laughs> I was going to talk about that. That was my next thing. So you Irish step so I'm dancing. I'm glad I'm doing it. <laughs> that's no easy thing to, to do. It's really not. Man, I know all art is supposed to look easy, but like Irish dance takes so much effort to like look like you're not doing anything. And like to, it just the amount of tension you have to hold in certain parts of your body while you have to be completely loose and relaxed in other parts of your body. It's, it's so hard. Did you teach yourself or did you take formal no. lessons? Oh God, no, no. Um, I'm very lucky in that our Irish choreographers, Garrett Coleman and Jason Aramis are both world champion Irish dancers who have, wow. uh, you know, toured the world for many, many years with river dance and Lord of the dance and all that stuff. Um, and <laughs> they're, immense patience and ability getting me in shape and, you know, our whole choreography team, um, you know, Bill T. Jones, his whole ethos is, is, uh, artists do their best work when they've been pushed past what they think they're capable of, which is certainly that I have been pushed past what I think what I thought I was capable of in this project. Um, Chloe Davis, our associate choreographer and dance captain, just, you know, they all come in with, exactly the right note you know i i didn't grow up dancing i obviously i went to musical theater school so i i had dance class there but i've never been a dancer dancer in my career before um and i've had such such incredible support mostly for the mental aspect for them to be like just let it go let it be fun you know the way you feel about singing let it be that way about dancing I feel like uh the beginning of of irish step dancing is like here's your straight jacket you can't mm-hmm. use your arms Yes, yes. Well, that and like, so the two big things, hold a pencil between your shoulder blades and hold the piece of paper between, between your thighs. Like your shoulder. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's the posture. Wait, how are you supposed to move your legs when you have a piece of paper, holding a piece of paper between your thighs? Exactly. <laughs> they got to move fast. Oh my goodness. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I did, um, uh, at Bush Gardens Williamsburg, I was in a one-man show there, across, right in a theater right across from um, the in-residency uh, Irish Step show. Okay, so we okay. would go over there on our breaks and watch the the Irish Step troupe just go off and do their thing. And God, they would they would just at night uh, their calves would would yes. twitch and convulse, and yeah. all it was insane. It was absolutely insane how their legs were just destroyed. Yes, an unseen side effect of, of preparing for this this um, role is I'm now very knowledgeable about the intricate musculature in the legs. I like know all the different <laughs> muscles. I'm like, oh, that's the posterior tibialis. It's in control of pointing just your big toe. That's all it does. But when you're jumping on your toes all day, the posterior tibialis has to grow. 
And uh, I tell you what, it was really painful when it was growing, but now it's strong enough. Now it can, it can, it can pull me up. Um, yeah. When I heard the show was coming back, I hadn't danced in over a year. Um, you know, during the, the pandemic, I, I was in a show right when we closed the weekend of March 15th, right. When, when all Broadway shut down. So, mm-hmm. but I, I, you know, two, two plays that I had been supposed to do that year were canceled. Um, so I, I, you know, our industry was shut down and I took an office job. So I was, I was just, you know, sitting at a desk, not dancing at all. And when I heard this was coming back, I was like, Oh boy. So I, I got, I got right on the jump rope. I was just jump roping all, all day, trying to get my calves back. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Paradise Square... Give us the synopsis, though, because I, it's such an interesting story. Yes, yes. And I can't believe I never knew this about American history. I never knew this. Um, so the events of the play take place in Civil War era New York in the Five Points. So if you've ever seen Gangs in New York, that's kind of where. But um, our show is about more of the uh, American melting pot. Kind of, This was the birthplace of American culture, right? It's where... It's where immigrant and uh, born free Black Americans and self-liberated Black Americans um, were all kind of mixing in America. And it's where some of the first American pop music was created, um, written by a man named Stephen Foster. Um, and uh, the events of the play, you the play opens and you meet uh, a community of people who are living openly interracially married. Um, there are and this is in the Civil War. In the Civil, Civil War, War 1860s New happening. York. Yeah. 1860s New York. Um, 1863, to be precise. So you meet this, you meet this integrated community, and um, the events of the play are around um, the draft. Abraham Lincoln instituted a draft because the Civil War had been going on for so long. Um, and 
you could buy your way out of the draft if you had $300, which was a year's salary, um, more than a year's salary for some of these people. Um, so when the names were called, it was the hottest day in New York. And you know what New York in the summer's like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and people were angry and people had been drinking. And when the names started to be called for this draft, which was basically a death sentence, you'd be sent to the front line and be used as cannon fodder, basically. Um, we all know how bloody the Civil War was. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the names were called, people got angrier and angrier, and they had been protesting, and this protest turned into a riot. And uh, the riot turned into a three-day civil insurrection in New York City. This is and all true. This is all, this is all true. true it's called, yeah. Yes, it's called the Draft Riots of 1863. Read about it. Please read about it, because I had never learned this, and it's a huge oversight in my education. Um, as, and, and as are most things when it comes as are to most things. But the crazy, the, the, the really awful thing that happened um, is these, these riots started uptown. It was the poor people, kind of the proletariat rising and looting mansions and they burned down the official buildings where the names were being called. And um, over the course of three days, the newspapermen and the politicians, Tammany Hall politicians, were able to turn that immigrant Irish anger and point it toward uh, the black Americans living in Manhattan. And it became a race riot. Um, hmm. And it's, it, it kind of destroyed this, this I was going to say idyllic community. It wasn't idyllic. Everyone was dirt poor. It was a slum. But um, it broke up this community of amalgamationists and the black people of Manhattan were scattered out to Brooklyn were scattered up, up to North Manhattan, which wasn't part of New York city yet. Um, they were all run out of the city. Um, there were somewhere around a dozen lynchings that happened in Manhattan. Um, it's, it's an unbelievable, it's, it's an unbelievable moment in American history. Um, and one of my favorite stories from the history is in the five points, there was a pharmacist, a black man, um, who was loved and respected by his community. And when the rioters came down to the five points, to that specific neighborhood, they, and they came for that pharmacy, the whole neighborhood stood in front and they said, no, no, you leave here. You pass this. You leave us alone. Wow. And so this community was able to, they were able to protect themselves and the worst of the destruction um, missed, missed the five points. But it still, the society was broken. The, cult, the, the, culture, the cultural repercussions are still, still happening. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And if you go back and read some of these pamphlets that were being sent out during these days, um, our, our dramaturg uh, called it the night that the Irish became white. Um, cause up until this point, the Irish had been looked at as, um, just dirty immigrants, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, some of the language in these pamphlets that turned, turned that anger and made it racial is verbatim to some of the stuff you see today. Um, that, that's, that's what I was going to bring up uh, in when you said about, uh, uh, Irish immigrants is, is I don't remember where I saw this, um, or where I heard it heard it originally, but I wish I could credit wherever I heard it from. But mm-hmm. originally, there was no no black and white or brown or yellow 
kind of racism as it exists today. Originally, the the discrimination came by culture. So it was the Irish versus the the. Well, yeah, yes, except it was it was still white and non-white. It's just Irish didn't count as white because white only meant English at that point. You know. Um, oh right. Yeah. So so the equivalent today. Um, there's been, if you think about the Irish immigrants coming, coming to America, it's still happening today with other groups. So, for example, in Ohio, in my part of Ohio, there are a lot of Somalian immigrants that are coming who have a different religion than a lot of the people around, mm-hmm. who are fleeing from famine, fleeing from genocide, um, who have different cultural traditions than everyone else. It's exactly the same as when the Irish came in the 1800s. Um, and it's hard for us to remember that because the Irish have been so, like, look at the Supreme Court is mostly Catholic right now. That's insane to think about, Mm -hmm. um, when you look at this period in American history, because being Catholic was, was looked at the same way that being Muslim is looked at now in a lot of America. Wow. Um, Yeah. It's, it's the wheel of time keeps spinning and it's a circle. How much, uh, yeah, I I guess the parallel to what's happening literally right now, what happened metaphorically yesterday with Afghanistan, we had this influx of of Afghani refugees that have landed all over the world in various pockets. And then now today, literally as we're recording, the Ukraine and Russia Mm -hmm. war is happening. So uh, Ukrainians are fleeing, some Russians are fleeing because they don't agree with it. It's, It's insane. It keeps repeating itself. But my question then, or what I was about to ask was, you know so much about the history of it now, but did you, was this part of the process of, of uh, naturally with the whole cast and the director, the creative team, like started to educate everybody on what was happening? How did, how did you all learn so much about what had happened? Yes. Well, we had a great, great dramaturgy team. And um, I think I know so much also because I've been involved. We were workshopping the play and, you know, I've been involved for a long time. So the, it just, you know, the more time you spend with something, the more you learn. Um, and the goal is to honor, we always, we always talk about our ancestors. This is how, and when my family, part of my family came to America as an Irish immigrant fleeing the great hunger. Um, and, uh, you know, my people wound up in Indiana rather than in New York, but this could have been like these, this could have been me. Owen, Owen Dignan, the role I play could have been, could have been me. It's my, it's my family. Um, and we want to honor that. We want, we want to do it right. And we want to make sure the story that we tell is um, inclusive of all viewpoints that haven't necessarily always been included in, in the telling of these kinds of stories. Um, you know, the focus of our show, the central character of our show is um, a, a born free black American woman who is the owner of a business. And that existed in the five points in New York in the 1860s. Um, it's, it's, uh, I I think it's really important to get it right. And so we've, yeah, we've all done the work and we all talk about it constantly and we all share the way Moises works, Moises Kaufman, our director, um, with his company Tectonic, it's called devising. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, there's an intellectual approach where it's like, you take a big topic like this and kind of break it down into little pieces and everyone in the company brings their research project really and everyone educates and then you just kind of see where the story comes from that and that kind of work definitely happened in the workshop process of this musical that's so cool i i always wonder how much 
for the stuff that's not like glitzy, glamoury, showboaty song and dance, and, and nothing against any of that, right? Like, well, yeah, and and honestly, it sounds the show sounds so dark, but it's a lot of fun. It's like a huge dance show, and most of the show is about celebration of this culture, like the amalgamation of these cultures coming together. <laughs> so I want to make right. sure it doesn't sound like a really dark night at the theater. <laughs> well, that's that's what I think is is one of the best types of stories, right? When you're learning and you get really, really uh, educated without knowing you're being taught an education. So you're right. there to see a dance show. You're there to see some some amazing performance and some amazing singing. And all at the same time, you're learning about true history. I mean, yeah. that's that's it's sort of the same thing. You know, let's equate it to Hamilton, right? Hamilton's fun yeah. to watch. Uh, everything is true, and it's all it's true. Just, it's all real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. which is great. So, it's great. Lovely. I love that. I love, you know, I've been saying I'm really pleased with the past few seasons, how many shows are just not based on anything or like, like Hamilton's an adaptation of a biography, but mm-hmm. like, you know, and, and just, you know, true events and, and you know, it shows like Dear Evan Hansen or Girl from the North Country, these like original stories. Um, I, I just, or six, you know, like, I just, I'm very pleased that this trend is continuing in the American musical theater and I hope it, I hope it keeps going. There is a lot of, now that you said that, even strange loop, right? Like all these original pieces, it's really great. There's a lot, there's a lot of history being taught now. I wonder, I wonder playwrights, I'm, I'm trying to just go down a really quick thought path here and, and I'm not, I'm not articulating well at all. Uh, but Hamilton's been out for a while. Now we're seeing a bunch of things that are, are still historically, or I guess they're more history-based without hitting you over the head with being about history, right? And I wonder how much yeah. of that influence, how long it takes for that sort of stuff to influence or if they've already been in the works, right? So if like, yeah. oh, Ham- I see Hamilton now, I'm going to start unconsciously writing something right. of the same vein, right? Yeah, well, I know this. So the, the play that Paradise Square is based on was called Hard Times and it premiered in New York 10 years ago or so. So definitely, I think that these ideas have been percolating and maybe the success of Hamilton has allowed the investor class to, to list maybe. these kind of stories maybe. Um, Cause I don't think creatively it's anything new. I think there are so many stories out there waiting to be told and there's just not enough space to tell them all. So it's, it's, that's the commercial aspect of commercial theater, I guess is, is who gets to use the space. And yeah. how? <laughs> Did you ever watch Battlestar Galactica? Uh, yes, yes. Like, you have hit. You have hit the bullseye of uh, <laughs> <laughs> my taste. <laughs> oh my god, I love I love that show. Uh, and uh, so uh, I'm not going to spoil it for those who haven't seen it. But going back to history repeating mm-hmm, itself mm-hmm. And, and society and culture, it, like literally, you said that the stuff that is happening in 1863 in Paradise Square, literally almost verbatim is being used as propaganda now in today's society because we still can't get past ourselves. And like metaphysically or existentially, I don't know, whatever this word is, why do you think we freaking keep doing this? Like you've researched this now for the role, but why do we keep repeating this? Why can't we learn? Yeah, well, I think it's it's got to be a generational thing, right? Like our grandparents remember, but we forget, or we don't have the context from the things our grandparents remember when they were children. Um, 
So I don't know. Like you see it now with the the last of the Holocaust survivors are are very old, um, and how many people now are saying that that never happened? You know, it's it's. I think it's it's on it's it's about honoring history. That's a huge Irish thing. One of the best things you could be, one of the highest um, social statuses you could be, um, was well, they called them poets. It took twelve years of study to become a poet. Hmm. So the Irish, the Irish, you know, pre-colonial Ireland, the the native Irish had no written language. Um, it was all oral tradition. So to become a poet, yes, you had to know the verse. You had to be able to. Speak off the cuff in verse, right? But you had to memorize verbatim all the legends, all of the stories, and that was the history. So the poets were used as historians, educators, as lawyers because they could they could remember through their poems, through their epic long wow. poems, the previous decisions. Right? They were the judges; they could remember the court history. Um, that history, I, I think that's it. We just have to. You, you can't. I don't know. You can't, you can't keep going down a road without remembering where you've come from. Um, you know, otherwise you have to keep reinventing the wheel. And it's like, no, we I think you hit the nail on right the head here. by saying, by saying context. It's, it, yeah. we, we know what was happened because we know what we've been told, but we don't know why, because we've lost the context by not living it. Right. Right. I think it's really important. I had a seventh, my seventh grade social studies teacher presented and is in North Carolina. Mind you. Yeah. North Carolina's seventh grade social studies teacher presented the, I put in air quotes, facts of the Holocaust and then said, you decide if it was real. And I went Whoa. home to my Jewish mother and said, this is what I learned about today, mom. What do you think? And she flipped her yeah. shit. You decide and, if it's real? Yeah. You decide what? if it happened. Now, I had and, the my, my seventh grade uh, social studies history teacher was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, and had us, he would teach us about a subject and would have us write like scenes or plays just to like get us into a different part of our brain so we could internalize this history. It's wow, man, I can't believe that happened. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, and that stuff happens. I mean, so if, if I didn't, right? So that moment in my life. Without your personal that, connection, what then happens to that? Exactly, exactly yeah. my point. It, like if I had not gone home to my mother, who obviously we have family history of living through mm -hmm. this, then, oh my gosh, yeah, I could have, that would have planted the seed as a seventh grade kid to been like, you know what? I don't, I don't really know anybody maybe who not. lived yeah. through it. Maybe, maybe it didn't. Yeah. And then I mentioned my thought to somebody else who combines it with their thought and that forms, you know, their, their X thought and my Y thought come together and we make it. congeal into something unbreakable. <laughs> congeal yeah. into, into something else. <laughs> it's like, you know what? I'm going to teach my kids that this didn't happen because I don't or have just not mention it. And if it does right. come up, be like, Oh, never don't think about that. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, wow. Okay. Well, yeah. on that happy note, let's yeah, wrap up. Geez, this has been so dark. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> let's wrap up with three <laughs> questions. I ask everybody to wrap up my episodes. Just the first one very simply is what motivates you. Oh man. Um, what motivates me like as an actor or like a human? As a human. <laughs> I guess it's kind of the same. Uh, like what we've been talking about, I think story, storytelling is so important as humans because it helps us find empathy. It helps us remember. But part of that remembrance, like we were just talking about the context of history is empathy. Um, and I think 
that's what drives me as a human. I, I strive, I strive to find empathy and I hope to inspire empathy in others. Mm, it's beautiful. Okay. What advice <laughs> would you give to your younger self and younger people listening oh, now man. starting out down a similar path? So, uh, just try and drop as much as that of the anxiety as possible as possible. There is no perfect, there is no correct way to do anything. Um, don't, work hard because it feels like you're working right. Like if it comes easy to you, let it come easy to you. Don't make a problem if there's not one. Um, you know, I've wasted a lot of time dealing with like stage fright and it's taken me decades to, to try to like let go of that anxiety and it's just not worth it. Wow. <laughs> I, I love it when Broadway actors still say they get stage fright. Oh it's, yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what? Really? Like even Kristen Chenoweth gets nervous before she goes on at Carnegie Hall? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. The feeling of walking on stage, ready to go. And as soon as you cross that threshold, you're in the lights and your mouth goes dry. And you're like, I have to sing right now. And I like, <laughs> there's tumbleweeds back there. <laughs> All right. So the final question is the hardest one here. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times oh, as you want, what would you see? Oh God, that's impossible. Oh man. That's really hard for me too, because I'm definitely of the mindset, like see every show once. Oh, oh man. So God, this is really, really hard. My first Broadway show I ever saw was Ragtime. Nice. Um, and I think I got to say Ragtime. It's just, it's like perfect. <laughs> it, was, it was a good introduction. Love yeah, that show. Yeah. All right. Where can we find you on social media? Um, I'm on Instagram at AJ Shively. Um, and uh, I'm on Facebook as AJ Shively. <laughs> oh, I introduced you as Shively. I said your last name. Oh, wrong. yeah, that's okay. Everyone yeah. does that. Shively. 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 Like, so I issue this correction. Here we go. I retract my original bio and say, AJ Shively, welcome to the theater podcast. There Let we go. The historical record show. <laughs> Let the historical record show. I corrected myself. You can get more of me and this podcast at the theaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. I'm now TikToking. I don't know why. Ooh. At the theater podcast. I've got a couple of videos up. So I got, you know, a few followers. It's it's pretty cool. Leave a rating and a review. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Jukebox the Ghost gave us our intro and outro music. And AJ Shively gave us our wonderful history lesson and our wonderful conversation. Thanks, dude. This has been so enlightening. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's great. Make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.